You are listening to the Wellness and Hospitality Podcast. I'm your host, Sana Luberoy. Episode 34, Five Must-Avoid Pitfalls for Wellness Leaders. Welcome to the Wellness and Hospitality Podcast, where it's all about genuine wellness, true hospitality, and real people. I'm your host, global wellness expert, life coach, and author, Sana Luberoy. Hello and welcome to today's episode. Are you a wellness leader striving for excellence? Then this episode is for you. Today I'd like to delve into the five crucial pitfalls that every wellness leader must steer clear of to thrive in their role. The reason I know these pitfalls can be fatal is because I, myself, have fallen into the trap of each and every one of them, and on several occasions, over my 20 plus years in this industry. Now, you might be thinking, why does it matter we avoid these pitfalls? It matters, and a lot. Because when we repeatedly make these mistakes across the board and over the years, we inadvertently set ourselves up for constant failure. We set wellness up for constant failure. And that is why 97% of wellness leaders in hotels, even the most prominent ones, Don't manage wellness offerings that represent more than 1-3% to of total hotel revenue. So today, what I'd like to do is share a clip from my recent LinkedIn Live session that I did, where I explore key strategies and insights to help you navigate challenges, enhance your leadership, and achieve success in the competitive world of wellness leadership within hotels. So, Without further ado, here's the clip. Hello and welcome to today's session. I hope you're all keeping well from whichever part of the world you're watching. Today, I'd like to talk about the five must-avoid pitfalls for wellness leaders. The reason I know these pitfalls exist is because, trust me, I have fallen into the trap of each and every one of these pitfalls. And on several occasions during the last 22 years of my career in this industry. Now, the reason it matters to know what these pitfalls are and to be incredibly aware of them is because 97% of wellness leaders in hospitality actually manage wellness offerings that do not represent more than 1% to 3% of total hotel revenue. Now, that includes wellness leaders that are very prominent and also managing wellness operations that generate several million euros a year or dollars a year. But if you actually look at what the wellness offering generates in terms of revenue compared to the total hotel offering, we can see that it's usually not more than 1% to 3% of total hotel revenue. Now, the reason it matters why, you know, why do I always repeat this is because majority of wellness leaders in hospitality feel 
that they are the most neglected department in the hotel. They're this mini GM that has to be responsible for making sure that the staff are okay. In some occasions, some wellness leaders have to jump in, do a treatment, cover reception area, ensure that the maintenance guy or girl also ensure that housekeeping is kept amazing in the spa and that everything is working. And they also manage to scrounge for extra budgets to make sure they have the essential supplies just to comply with brand standards of you know, what ultimately helps the rest of the hotel. Now, when we feel that we're the bit player of a hotel, that's when things start going terribly pear-shaped. And in my new course, From Neglected to Respected, I talk about how wellness leaders can secure a genuine seat at the hotel's big table. Now, many Hotels are giving the wellness leaders a seat at the big table, but we all know it's one thing to have that seat and it's quite a different ballgame to have a voice that is heard. Now, we could just say, give us that voice and you have to hear us. But I think what is far more effective when you earn that voice. Now, let me explain myself. If we only make one to three percent of total hotel revenue, it's very, very difficult to realistically have an investor and owner actually sit down with a part of the business that only makes one to three percent of total hotel revenue. And in some cases, the revenue and the profitability that wellness offerings generate are not enough to cover the return on investment of the build of the facilities in the first place. So I think it's important that we just separate ourselves from knowing that wellness is incredibly valuable, but also taking a big picture view of, okay, what exactly is happening here and why do we only make one to 3% of total hotel revenue? I'm not saying that there are not reasons that are very valid and hotelier colleagues could perhaps give us a hand. That said, there are many things us wellness leaders can do in order to ensure we're moving that revenue needle. And, you know, I will be sharing a link to the course for those of you who are interested in knowing how you can move that revenue needle. Do subscribe. It's a free mini course and you'll find it incredibly useful. But today, what I wanted to talk about is the first step of trying to understand what is happening. Or I think the first step to actually move that revenue needle or get that that voice that we all want is to avoid certain pitfalls we all make. And these are myths that are going around in our heads that do not serve us. And this is one of the main reasons we only make one to 3% of total hotel revenue. So as always, I have prepared a presentation where I talk about these myths that me find where these myths are. The first myth is every wellness offering is an asset. Trust me, many years ago, I can be quite a feisty character person. And I would always say that wellness offerings, of course, you have to have them a huge grand. They all are assets. They add, they positively contribute to the hotel's profit and loss. And I have lived situations where there have been a terrible drain. And there is where I learned that not 
every wellness offering is an asset. You have to look at your wellness offering and you have to make it an asset. That right wellness offering for each particular hotel. Now, in my book, The Wellness Asset, I talk about my realisticity versus potential graph. I'm not going to go into it in more detail here, but it's important to know that your wellness offering is realistic to implement, that you have the space, you have the resources, and it's sustainable to actually implement. And it also has potential. And the potential has to do with the vision of the owners of the hotel brand and also your guests. So knowing that not every wellness offering is automatically an asset is incredibly important. Every wellness offering has the potential to be an asset, but it's our job as wellness leaders to ensure we make it an asset first and then everything falls into place. The second pitfall myth is I know wellness. I'm an expert, you know. We wellness leaders, and I have said that on a couple of occasions, we you know we have our egos. We say F&B chefs are the ones that have their egos. We also have them. You know, we are the, the cat's meow, the dog's bollocks. We know the best treatments out there. We know the best brands. We have the best contacts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the problem with thinking that we know wellness, that we are the expert, is that we close ourselves to listening to what needs our guests have. And we also forget that we're not listening to our owners. We're not listening to our GM. We're not listening to our teams. So when we adopt the attitude, I know wellness, I'm the expert, we're actually closing off a huge amount of information that is vital for the success of our wellness offering. Additionally, when we peg the entire offering based on our expertise, it's actually quite a selfish gesture because wellness is such a diverse and at the same time specialist field. My skill set will be very, very different from the next wellness leader or from the previous wellness leader. We can't set the whole success, we can't peg the whole success of a wellness offering on our expertise. We have to create a wellness offering that is sustainable in the future, that if we removed ourselves from the equation, that wellness offering would still work. The third myth is my offering is amazing. Of course, I'm the cat's meow, the dog's bollock. I made a fantastic concept. Of course, people will love it. Of course, my guests will love it. Now, the problem is that many amazing offerings are actually offerings that bleed money or are heavily subsidized. You can have the most amazing offering, wonderful talent and grand facilities, but your guests do not like your wellness offering. Now, it's so important to keep in mind that your guest is the person who's going to be consuming your wellness offering. And it has to be something that solves their well-being related problem. When we wellness people become arrogant is probably a word I could use right now. I'm not sure what kind of word we could use that. 
we think we've got the best wellness offering in that we have to educate our guest. Of course, there's an education involved, but we can never underestimate how each guest knows their body far better than therapists would know their body of this particular guest. So it's so incredibly important to know that there are two parts to a wellness offering. What you as a wellness leader wants to offer or what the hotel wants to offer. And the second, the most important part is what your guests want to buy. And you have to ensure that both align. The fourth myth is I'm not seeing results. This offering isn't working. Now, this is the classic error new wellness leaders make. Now, the previous wellness leader left because the wellness offering wasn't generating the results expected, for example. So they clearly don't know wellness. It was failing. So the new wellness leader comes in and says, absolutely, the wellness offering wasn't working. So let's do it all over again. Now, the reality is, again, I'm going to say this, no matter how grand your facilities, amazing your offering or fantastic your team, you will never, ever nail your wellness concept the first time around. Your wellness concept needs to be iterated in the market. You will never nail it the first time around. Now, the problem is the moment we encounter that first roadblock, that is, we're not seeing the results we had promised, we automatically assume that the entire wellness offering isn't working. And that is not true. When we find ourselves in that situation, the first question is to ask, were my expectations realistic? Sometimes, you know, we create budgets that are far from realistic. And secondly, looking at our wellness offering, it's not the entire offering that isn't working. It's probably only one small little piece that requires a very tiny fine tuning and then everything else works. But the problem is we become so impatient that we just throw the baby away with the bathwater. We don't stay the course with our concept. And lastly, I need to see what other trends or brands I should add. We wellness leaders, because we're not seeing the results we want, we end up comparing ourselves with other so-called or apparently popular spas or spas that are doing incredibly well. We start looking at what so-called iconic wellness locations are doing and we think, wow, they've added that. We must also add that to show the market that we are one step ahead of it. And you know what? Many times guests do not care about that. It's only our ego and ourselves that want that. When we start to chase trends or these new in-brands, we end up jeopardizing our concept. The truth is we will never have the most flashiest toy in town. We never will, not over a sustained period of time. It is never the what we have that defines our concept is how we do wellness. And as wellness leaders, we end up focusing. The mistake we make is we just worry about our toolbox. We just worry about changing treatments and services that require a small investment. We probably don't see the return on investment and we're just going down, you know, into in this vicious kind of cycle. So these are the five kind of pitfalls that many wellness leaders 
fall into the trap of. And these are myths. These are ways of thinking that have not led us down helpful paths. And when we make these mistakes on a repeated basis, the end result is that we have wellness offerings that on the grand scale of things do not generate more than one to three percent of total hotel revenue. Then we wonder why we're the most neglected department in the hotel. We wonder why we aren't given the resources we want to have. We wonder why as wellness leaders, we are the lowest paid specialist leader. We also wonder why we do not have a voice at the hotel's big table. I am not justifying any of this. I just like to make it very, very clear. I'm not justifying this reality or this thought that we might, many of us might have. What I'm only highlighting is that, of course, we really can't expect more if we only make one to three percent of total hotel revenue. Now, if you want to move that needle percentage point by percentage point, I strongly recommend you sign up for my mini course, From Neglected to Respected, How Wellness Leaders Can Secure a Genuine Seat at the Hotel's Big Table. It's free. It's completely free. And I want to empower each and every wellness leader out there to take action. Wellness has huge potential in hotels. And you know what? Our hotelier colleagues are looking at us, the specialist leaders, to get our act together to make sure that wellness can actually generate its full capacity. I will be leaving the comment, the link to the course in the comments section. And in the meantime, I hope you have a fantastic day ahead. Take care. So to recap the session, if we want to move the revenue and value contribution needle of wellness within hospitality, it is our jobs as wellness leaders to change our mindset. Because what is clear is that the thought process, strategies, and tactics that got us here to this place where wellness offerings represent a mere 1-3% to of total hotel revenue won't get us to where we want to be a place where wellness offerings are a significant value and revenue contributor, that linchpin in hotels. And the first step we must take to get us on the right path is to avoid these common pitfalls we as wellness leaders constantly fall victim to. We must shy away from the myths that have led us down unhelpful paths. And these myths are, myth one, every wellness offering is an asset. Myth two, I know wellness, I'm the expert. Myth three, my offering is amazing. Of course people will love it. Myth four, I'm not seeing results. This wellness offering isn't working. Myth five, I need to see what other trends or brands I should add. On that food for thought, I wish you all a fantastic day ahead. Thank you for tuning into my podcast. If you want to know whether your hotel is ready to meet the growing demand for wellness experiences, both for your guests and your employees, 
then my Essence Scorecard is the perfect tool for you. Head over to spa-balance.com forward slash Essence Scorecard and get yourself a free and accurate temperature reading of your hotel's readiness to meet the wellness needs of your people and your guests. It's a valuable self-audit that not only helps you create a profitable wellness asset, but also promote a culture of genuine wellness for your team.